The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if your truth journey sent you here for the first time, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do. Simply go to our website, veritasradio.com, if you're not already there, and click on the subscribe button. Give yourself the gift of truth. And tonight we go back to our roots, the ET abduction phenomenon. You know, this is my favorite topic. Many write asking why we don't do more of these shows. And the answer is very simple. There are many areas to discover and research. But we will always cover this topic with the professionalism and interest that it deserves. Tonight's special guest is Sherry Wilde and her story of a lifelong interaction with beings from another world. Sherry lost her family, her livelihood, and so much more. And she also gained a lot because she had a mission to complete. Let's hear from Sherry right now on Veritas. Sherry Wilde was born in southwest Wisconsin and continues to live in the small community she grew up in. Sherry was living an idyllic life as a wife, mother, and business owner when in 1987, her community experienced a UFO flap that was considered one of the most active on the planet. Her world was turned upside down when she was forced to accept the indisputable evidence that she was being abducted by beings of another world. Overcoming her fear and learning the truth of her involvement with these ultra-dimensional beings eventually became her life goal. In 2009, she was called to go off to the desert where she inexplicably found herself writing a book, The Forgotten Promise, a recounting of the amazing journey depicting her involvement with these creatures. Now Sherry accepts the truth of these encounters and has cooperative contact on a regular basis with the beings she affectionately refers to as her guys. You can visit Sherry's website, which is linked at ours, and you can also purchase the book there. And to share her story with us, Directly from Wisconsin, I would like to welcome Sherry Wild. Hello, Sherry, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Mel. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And just right looking at this bio, when you said a desert, does that mean Tucson? Did you come here to write that book? I did. I did. Uh, it was quite an amazing thing to feel such a pull to an area of the country that I typically wasn't that attracted to, but um, I, I needed to go there, and I literally sat up in bed one night in the middle of the night, and uh, to my little dog, my little eight-pound Maltese that sleeps with me, 
I said out loud, I said, we're out of here. Come morning, we're out of here. And we packed up the next morning and we left with no forethought at all. I stopped at my office on the way out of town, told uh, my people there that I was gone. It was just my daughter at that time. I said, I'm going to Tucson. I don't know when I'll be back. And she just laughed and away I went. It was just so weird. But that's how it happened. I just fast forwarded that a little bit. And the reason why I brought that up is because I was also brought to Tucson. I didn't think that I would ever live in the desert. I come from the tropics, from the beach, from where trees are and the greenery. But here I am. And now whenever I leave, I, I yearn to come back. But let's, this is a very interesting story. And I want to tell the audience how it, how you and I converged. As I told you when we spoke on the phone not too long ago, I received books almost on a daily basis. And I have this stack of books all the time. And for some reason, just like it happened before with other guests, I gravitated towards your book. I was leaving on vacation and I just said, let me take this on vacation. And I took it with me. And unfortunately, while I was reading it, I lost it on the plane while on vacation, but I got it again. And I read the book and I made contact with you because this is a very interesting story that I think a lot of people will be interested in, in listening to, especially because we're going back to the Veritas roots. We started with UFO and abduction shows, and we're definitely going back to, to my favorite topic, especially when it's a firsthand account. Going back in time, tell us about your childhood, where and how did you grow up, and where all of this began? As um, a child, I was living in the same area I'm living in now. I, I live probably less than six miles from the place I was born and raised at. And um, as a child, I had a lot of experiences, but they were buried deep in, in my memory. They didn't come to the surface until 1987, 88, when I was uh, regressed. But um, there were some memories it's a strange thing, and it's very hard to this. The abduction experience has a lot of strangeness to it, a high level of strangeness. Everyone, I think, who's familiar with the subject knows that. So, on one level, I had memories. There's the one memory that I had when I was probably about eight years old, when they took me above the earth and showed me the earth being destroyed, and that's a that's a common um, phenomenon for children who are being abducted. We are being shown where we were. I don't know that it's still happening, but we were shown the earth being destroyed. And I know that a lot of um, investigators wondered what that was about. And they used to say that they thought that it was the ETs studying our emotions because they said that the, the aliens didn't have emotions and they were intrigued by our emotions. And so they were purposefully frightening us, scaring us to, to see how we would react and I certainly did when they showed me the planet being destroyed by this huge wall of water. It was before I knew anything about a tsunami, but it was just a huge wall of water that hit the West Coast. And before long, the planet was just consumed in smoke and it was just black and gritty. And I thought I thought every, my family was dead. I thought that I, was, I would have no home to go back to. I was very upset. And uh, I thought that that this was something that had happened in real time. They explained to me that this didn't happen, but it was, it was, we were on track to have this happen if we didn't change our ways. And I became very angry and upset. I didn't know what they wanted me to do about it. I thought they should go to the president and talk to the president about it or something to tell a little eight-year-old girl didn't make any sense to me. And that's when he told me it starts with one. When I heard years later, when I was looking for answers as to what this 
whole thing was about trying to determine if these guys were negative beings, if they were evil, as most investigators will have you believe, or at least back in the 90s they did. I was looking for answers, and I I went to a lecture that Bud Hopkins gave, and he talked about this very same thing. And when he said that the children were being shown these images, and it was terrifying for them, and he thought that the the ETs who were doing this had to be evil to do such a thing because it was very traumatizing. I knew, I didn't know what it was about, but I knew that he was wrong. I knew it was not them studying our emotions. And I've since learned, of course, that they were just showing me our destiny. Unless we could get our vibration raised, this was going to be the result of our of our actions. So it was interesting. I had that memory. I always thought it was kind of a dream, but I knew it wasn't a dream. And so as I grew up and I was a teenager, I had all kinds of strange things that happened, and I just never questioned it. I just continued to live my life look the other way, and I would joke about seeing spaceships. I would joke about being with aliens. but And I, I was obsessed with drawing pictures of the typical gray. I, my workbooks were just filled in the margins with those pictures of their heads. Uh, I guess that said something, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know back then what it was all about. I just knew I was obsessive about it. So it was a strange life that I lived, but I didn't know it was strange. I guess when you're when you're weird and nobody points it out to you, you just don't know it. You think you're just pretty normal. <laughs> That's right. And it didn't come out until I was in my 30s, and we had the UFO flap in this community. And I had at that very same time, in 1987, when the flap was occurring, I was 37 years old, I had just started to obsess about a memory that I had, or an occurrence, actually, when I was 17. It was almost 20 years to the day that we had this flap, and I wasn't even aware of the flap. I had been, I was busy working, and I just started to get consumed with the idea that when I was 17, I had had two hours of missing time. I knew I had two hours of missing time. My car had rolled to a stop in front of these four men who were standing by the side of the road, and the next thing I knew, I was walking into my girlfriend's house, and she knew I was two hours late. Everything about it was confirmed, and I never bothered to look at it. I never even wondered what had happened to me that day. And I became very upset about that. And I didn't know which was more disturbing, the fact that I'd lost two hours of time or the fact that I'd never looked at it for 20 years. And I became obsessed with finding out what had occurred at that time. And that led me that led me to Don Schmidt and the Center for UFO Studies who, who offered to uh, regress me. So another reason why I gravitated towards your book, Sherry, was because you're, you're a practical person. You're rational, you're logical, you're a business person. So those are qualities that I identify with because I, I feel the same. I'm the same. So for somebody like you to all of a sudden come out and, and talk about this must have been very, very important. You had to take this out of your chest. But let's go in chronological order. This is the night, the mid to late 1950s, when you first had your first encounter. Had you ever seen a movie or TV show depicting aliens or flying saucers? No, no. I was, I was pretty sheltered. We lived out in a valley down a half mile long driveway. I went to a, this is embarrassing, but I went to a one room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were, we were very sheltered in very rural Wisconsin, and. TV was not a part of our life to any great extent at all. 
I don't even know how old I was when we got our first TV. I don't know if we even had one when this event happened at the age of eight. So, no, I had not seen anything like that. And to tell you the truth, growing up, I had almost an aversion to the whole UFO thing. I, I just had an aversion to it. I think it's due to the blocking that's done. And I was very sheltered. I had never read anything. When I tried to go to the movie um, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, that movie, I was that was came out when I was in my mid to late 20s, I believe, and I still hadn't opened up my memories. I couldn't watch that movie. It was it was like it had been cut into probably you know a thousand pieces and. and you, you even com- complain at the concession, but since I want to go in chronological order, that comes next. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm listening to all of this, and you lived in such a rural area that you had to walk three miles to school even in the winter. And your mother told you, if you ever get tired, don't ever fall asleep because you might not wake up. Is that correct? Yeah, right, right. Because we walked, and it really was, it was three miles to school. We would walk to school up over the hills to the one-room schoolhouse, and, and we would do that year-round, uh, or you know, during school years, and a lot of it was in the winter. And it kind of surprises me that my mother would send us out, but she would bundle us up, and we would go, and we would get to the school and just be freezing, freezing cold. But she warned us not ever to lay down and and sleep because we would get tired and it was hard because the snow was very deep and yeah it was kind of a it's a very old-fashioned childhood that I had. That's right and you were sent uh, out to go play and come back when the in nightfall this is the same way I, I grew up in them um, you don't see that these days. How old were you when you were first abducted? Well you know Mel I I actually it's a strange thing I never knew what this memory was but I have a conscious memory of standing by my crib and standing there with the ET that I know um, as Da, and having this little conversation about how I really didn't want to go back into that little body. And I always tried to figure out, I couldn't make sense of that memory. I always thought it had to be my sister who came along when I was five. But who was I standing there talking to, and why was I arguing about not wanting to go back into that body? So I believe that they've been in my life I know they've been in my life right from the get-go. I mean, it was it was planned that I come here, so they've been there. So. How were you transported to the craft that first time? Do you remember? Oh, yes. That's very clear. Uh, I was outside playing with my brother, who was a year younger than me. It was just the two of us out back, and I was picking gooseberries. I, took, I was taking a break from us playing on the sandstone rocks and standing standing out in the gooseberry patch and uh, it, everything got very silent. All the all the bugs and the buzzing and everything. It becomes cool. Everything is very strange. And uh, they showed up. They took me to the craft, and he um, stood underneath it. It was up against the hillside, mm-hmm. uh, right up against the bank of the hillside, and it was just hovering there silently. It wasn't on the ground. It was up against the hill. I never forget how that looked. And uh, he took me underneath it, and we stood underneath the craft. And Da stood behind me. He wasn't that much taller than me because they're not very tall. And so he was just a, maybe a little bit taller than me, but he put his hands, one on each of my shoulders, and we just stood there, and there was this blue light that just came down and engulfed us, and we just lifted up. Just There was no floor or anything. We just lifted up as easy as could be right up into the ship. And what did they show you once you were above Earth? You said that you, you saw a calamity happening. Were they just showing you a vision, or were you, let me just use the term, time traveling? 
I think it almost seems like we were time traveling because once we were far out, I got to look outside. They had these viewing windows, and I was looking out the window at the stars, and I was just amazed at how it looked. They looked like, as I put in the book, I think, like diamonds spread out on velvet, black velvet. It was just spectacular, and there's just this silence and this, Oh, this, it was awe-inspiring. I, there's no words to describe what that felt like. There, there's this deep, reverent feeling of connection to something bigger than yourself. And he pointed out Earth, and he said that that's my home, that's your planet, that's Earth. And I looked at it, and I just, it was just, oh, it was just so beautiful and blue against the the black, you know. And I was confused about why it was black. I remember asking him because it was the middle of the day. Actually, it was mid-morning when they picked me up, and. I asked how come it was dark, the sky was black, and was it nighttime? And he explained to me that, no, this is outer space. And he explained all that to me. And and then he said, now we're going to go in closer to look at your planet. We're going to go down closer. So we dropped in closer to the planet. And um, it it seemed very real. It didn't look like any kind of a projection or anything. It was very real. As I watched this wave of, or it wasn't even a wave, it's just a huge wall of water come in and go on to the California coastline, which is, you know, I never, I was fearful of going to California my whole life. We went on vacation there once and I was, I was very reticent about going. I just, I was terrified that this would happen while I was there. So I I was, had a fear of being in California. I remembered always this image of that water coming in and it came all the way, it went all the way into the Rockies. I mean, that's how far it went. And then fires started popping up. And then I got the, the sense that it happened on the other coastline. It was happening all around the planet. And the planet was basically being destroyed. And that was our destiny at that time. It was very disturbing to see. And I, under, I, I do understand the implications now. I understand why they did that. I understand. That was one of the big clues for me. Now, the question is, as a, as a small child, you're thinking, you know, why me? All this guilt that you're you're being placed upon, and the responsibility, as as Da said, it, you know, it, it starts with one. But what do you think at the time? Well, did you feel angry that they were showing all these visions and putting this on your shoulders? Oh, I did. I was very angry, and I I struck out at him, and I said, you know, you have no right to show me this, to put this on me. There's nothing that I can do. I'm just a little girl, you know. I mean, I. When I was little, I had a speech impediment. You know, I can imagine what it sounded like. I'm just a little girl. You know, I just, it just didn't make sense to me that these beings would come in from outer space, clearly, and pick up a little girl in the Midwest and show her the planet being destroyed. And, And it was like they were saying to me, you need to save this planet. And I'm like, are you kidding what are you talking about? Show, go to the president and tell him, tell somebody who can do something. And he just, he, I remember him, he, he kneeled down a little bit and he looked me straight in the eyes and he put his hands on each shoulder and he looked really intently, intently into my eyes with those big black eyes of his and he said, mm-hmm. it starts with one. And that's, that's it. That's, that's what I remember. And it, it impacted me. It impacted who I was my whole life. I don't know that I was a fearful child, but I, but I also felt a certain responsibility, which might be part of why I'm kind of a serious-minded person. But I always felt a responsibility toward the planet and just to live my life as best I could on a little bit higher plane. What made you, what made you decide to, go, to undergo hypnosis decades? 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.